0: So when I first reached out to Elliot, I just wanted to grab some clips for the final episode of this data series that we've been working on. He wrote Cumulus, and I thought there was some really good tie-ins between the kind of dystopian future that he had laid out in Cumulus and what's actually happening today. But it turns out that uh, the conversation got so good... I just wanted to share it with you. I wanted to release it as a full episode because I felt like it deserved it. We we talked not only about the implications of data collection, but we talked about what's happening in Oakland today. We talked about how the divide between the haves and the have-nots is growing deeper and deeper and how in his neighborhood, which he's been in Oakland for about 20 years now, how he has personally seen this divide and how it's affected him. And though it's it's not directly tech related, it's related to the effects that technology can have on a city. So it's a really interesting conversation. I really think you you'll enjoy it. So stick around. We're going to get right into it. Welcome to rocketship.fm the podcast. Where we- Explore startups, from funding to growth, from culture to sales, and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joel Goldman. So Elliot, welcome back. I think this is your third or, or fourth time on the show. I'm, I'm very excited. So let's jump right into it. You wrote Cumulus about a dystopian tech future based in San Francisco and Oakland. For those that haven't read it, it's about a society where people can buy into a lavish lifestyle, but they have to be okay with all of their data being tracked. And that's managed by a private company, Cumulus, which could be compared to like a Google or an Uber. Do you feel like that type of world is possible? And it is like, Is that where you feel like we're heading? Um, or was this more of an exercise in... The worst case scenario.
1: I think that in in many fundamental ways we're already there. So uh, so I think a good way to to, to slice this is um, Andrew Chamberlain. He's the chief economist at Glassdoor. So they're you know they're the the big sort of labor economics tech firm. Um, it, when he he uh, described the book one of the things that he said was one of his, I guess his tagline was absolute data, corrupt. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> okay. And so the, this is a science fiction story. So it runs that line of thinking to its ultimate conclusion. Mm-hmm. Right. But, uh, in the world we live in right now, um, data are power. Right. And so when, You have a lot of data by, you know, consequently you have a lot of power and it's very, very easy to leverage that power to your benefit and not to the benefit of the people whose data you control.
0: And like in in that scenario, right, we have currency, we have data. Hmm. What um, is, is data the knowledge and the power? Is that what that represents in kind of the classic um, sense of, uh, government, like having the data gives you control over the people that are giving it to you. Is that, is that kind of how that notion works
1: in a certain way? I mean, if you want to, I guess like the ultimate example would be if you have, a if you have something that you are trying to keep secret, then you certainly don't want other people to know what it is, right? And if someone threatens to reveal it, you'd be in trouble, mm-hmm. right? And you can take whatever example <laughs> you want from the current political season or you know anything else to to make that work. But yeah. there's a you know there's a there's a famous essay that was written a few years ago called Organizational Doxing, which I would recommend listeners check out. Okay. That is about exactly this on the nation state scale. So um, you know the. One of the more famous examples is when, um, uh, well, this has happened a number of times, but Saudi Arabia's government was hacked at, by another nation state. And the, and the um, results, the data that they stole were immediately posted on WikiLeaks, just like the current Russian mm. VDNC uh, sort of email scenario. Right, yeah. right. Um, and the reasons are exactly the same. So it's about embarrassment, right? So th- there are two ways you can hurt someone if you reveal a, a, a secret that they don't want revealed. One is short term, and that is like we're in a business negotiation, and you you hack into my computers and basically steal correspondence that 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 gives you an advantage, right? So you know the price I'd be willing to pay, or maybe. it's a little bit more uh, graphic than that. And, you know, it's even, maybe you actually steal some patents or something, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so this is information that is important to me that it is kept private because it gives me a specific advantage in the marketplace or in life. Um, You can imagine that there could be similar uh, personal situations for individual people as well. But, um, You know, the the bigger one is literally embarrassment. So, you know, if you start releasing stuff publicly about someone to shame them, then you're not only doing, you're not doing it for like a direct short-term benefit of like, I'm going to get a better price because I, you know, snuck these documents out about this business negotiation. You're also going to change their behavior because once you get embarrassed, you start thinking more carefully about how you, what information you ever communicate to anyone, right? right? So uh, if I operate on the assumption that if I ever write an email, I should assume that within two or three years, it's going to be a matter of matter of public record. You can bet I'm going to start using email differently.
0: So we're going to get right back into the interview, but first just a quick word from our sponsors. Dot com. That's business.att.com. Now back to our interview with Elliot Pepper. Absolutely, yeah. Do, do you think we give up too much, though, in terms of you know the, the information that these private companies, which is essentially mm. what um, Cumulus is about, that these private companies have more data on us than we can even remember? Do we give up too much?
1: Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I hesitate to be alarmist on this, right? Okay. Because I, I maybe, in particular, because I write science fiction, <laughs> that it's, that it's like somewhat dystopian, right? right? So, but you know, like I, I think that surveillance, we have. There's a lot of negative associations with that word for good reason, but the nature of information technology makes persistent surveillance like a basic assumption like yeah. like the way that computers work mean you means you can track everything and store it right and like why wouldn't you like if you have a website and you're trying to make it a better website wouldn't it help if you knew how people use the website <laughs> right like of course you want to do that right and like that applies at every level of anyone building things for computers yeah and And computers have turned out to be incredibly useful. And they're this general purpose tool that we can use for, to make all of our other tools better, right? Basically by making them smart and and connecting them to each other. So, um, but necessarily if you have a network computer It can be surveilled, and even more than surveilled. I mean, it could also be hacked, right? But like, even if we just stick with surveillance, like, there are very good reasons why everyone wants to surveil everyone else, (laughs) like on on the internet. And so, I I think that uh, it's a little like there are a lot of subtleties baked into that, right? Because really, what we're talking about is who who controls that. Surveillance apparatus and who has access. Right. So uh, I think that a lot of the larger tech companies who have like massive amounts of data, I mean, you can just like read stories in the news about them when they are talking about that data. They are very careful to basically like talk about everything as if it's only run by algorithms and everything is automated. <laughs> right. There's no right. people. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, Oh, like, like we never touch it. It's just there. Right. <laughs> right. Um, you know, like good for it. Um, and, and like to a certain extent that's true. Like if you have like a enormous data set, you're not going to have people like individually filtering through it, uh, you know, unless you have a good reason for it, yep. but they still control it and they, they own the servers, where, yeah. it, where that data is stored, right? Like they control access. And we, as users, have no right or have, or have no ability. Whether or not we have the right is a different question. Yeah. But we have very little ability or capacity to deny them that access, right? Yeah. But like also we use all this stuff. And like we like computers because they make our lives uh, much more convenient and and. They're fun and like we can do all these cool st- things with them, right? Uh, you know, there's a reason why computers have exploded, and it's not because the surveillance state is trying to get a, an eye out for you. <laughs> right? It's like the the surveillance state is taking advantage of the fact that I mean they're the laggards, basically, yeah. right? They're like, holy crap! Like, look at this, everybody wants to have a computer with them at all times interacting with every other computer that is in everything they touch. Like, awesome. Like it just got way cheaper to spy on everybody. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So, I mean, I I think that it's, uh, you know, we need to be more aware of, I I, I honestly think that one of the big things that we need to be more aware of as members of the general public is just like how computers work, Mm. right? Like if we don't understand our own tools then like it's hard to blame other people when we do you know we do something wrong with them right so I think that that's important I also think that it's really important that you realize that you know there's no free lunch in this world right so (laughs) I mean when you know what's that famous line when you're not The customer, you're the product. (laughs) You're the product, right? Right. And like, so, I mean, I use Facebook. I use many of these free services. Yeah. Like, Facebook is very profitable. So if we're not paying it money as users, they're (laughs) making that money from somewhere. And that's by taking all of our data and selling it to someone else who wants to know about us, right? Fundamentally, that is their entire business model, and they're really good at it. And uh, and so as users, if if we are concerned about that possibility, then it might make a lot of sense to, you know, think twice when we go into the Internet with the assumption that things should be free. Mm. Right. Because we're paying a price for that, whether you want to admit it or not you're paying a price for it many people and like ignorance is not an excuse right like if you don't know you're paying the price for it that's because you haven't educated yourself right um and i think that that's a big problem i think you face the same problem honestly not even with data but with many other things that the internet makes cheaper free so you look at uh uh journalism right like we're not going to go too deep into this, but if you're reading a lot of stuff that is available to you for free, you know, it's free for a reason, right? Right. So either, and that reason might be entirely benign. It might be that there's someone who loves writing stories for the sake of writing stories and just wants to put them out there, which is a wonderful reason to write and a wonderful reason to read. But like, there are many people who want to make money through creating media and so if they are putting up stories for free it might be that they're selling your attention or something else whether it's advertising or anything else right so i i always when i bring when i look and evaluate a new tool a new product a new anything that is online or in the physical world right like i always think about okay like I want to evaluate the quality of whatever this is. And I also want to understand why it exists and why the people who create it did so and why they manage it. And so I can make an educated decision as to, well, like if I'm going to be paying them for this, they're going to have certain responsibilities to me as a customer. Mm -hmm. If I'm taking advantage of a positive externality and using their work for free, I'm going to do so only with the knowledge of how they are going to take advantage of me in return. <laughs> right. <laughs> how much
0: do you, you know, in, in Cumulus you write about this state where only people who pay, right, can have access or who work for these companies have access to a, a very elegant lifestyle, very convenient lifestyle, and everyone else is kind of left out. Um how much responsibility do you put on the the private market versus the the government in in regulating controlling and then also kind of keeping um, I, I don't want to say fairness but keeping keeping things from getting as bad as you have them in in cumulus
1: <laughs> well I mean the the reason why those are in cumulus are because we're already living those things right so I live in Oakland. Um, Oakland is, you know, a city that is in one of the economic hubs of the world right now. It's in the San Francisco Bay area, but you know, it's a city that's had decades of persistent crime, um, and poverty. Mm-hmm. And so, and I grew up here, like it's a, uh, it, for me, it's always sort of, that's my default. That's what I sort of like am used to. Okay. And, um, you know, you, when you're like in Oakland right now, like many parents who have kids send their kids to private schools, right? Because the public school system is failing. Um, You know, it's been failing kids here for generations now. And, um, you know, and this isn't like a, this isn't a question of uh, good versus better. Like this, this, this is you know, if you're in an inner city school where you're having the lowest paid teachers, uh, you're, you have, you know, 40 plus kids per class, you, you have no resources at all. You might not have enough desks and certainly not enough books for the class, right? Like you have no role models from your neighborhood who, you know, who you can sort of like look up to and emulate. And in many neighborhoods the only role model you might know growing up is a drug dealer who makes the best you know they they're the ones with a good car and you're you know you're 16 right like that that's who you know and so in many ways our public services and I, and and by the way like I'm not trying to insult the Oakland school system or the city of Oakland. Like I I love Oakland. It is an amazing place. I love living here. I always have. But um, we as a larger society are failing ourselves because when richer or more, you know, like when parents who can afford it send their kids to private schools, suddenly you're already having a pay for access system. Right. right? I'm like, there are private high schools that cost $40,000 a year. Right. So and and now more recently in Oakland many of the wealthier neighborhoods have private security
0: oh like, wow okay literally this isn't
1: my parents neighborhood now so like you walk through the neighborhood and there's a private security car driving around and you know Oakland has high crime we've we had a triple homicide on our street 2 years ago um the, last month my wife and I were walking back from the BART station, which is like our local transit system Mm -hmm. in the middle of the day, bright, you know, beautiful afternoon, residential neighborhood, you know, traffic on the streets. And there was a drive-by shooting 40 feet behind us. Wow. Right. So like, because that stuff happens, you can't blame someone who can afford it for wanting to feel more secure. Right. It's like, that's terrifying. Right. But the, the problem is that, only, like because the city is not providing that as a public good, only the neighborhoods that can afford it are becoming safer. So if you live in those neighborhoods and, and you're paying for it, it's wonderful because you're less worried about having a drive-by shooting. So you can't blame anyone for wanting that. But but now, what about the neighborhoods that can't afford it and have even more drive-by shootings? Right, right. right. It's more so
0: concentrated and
1: yeah. it's more concentrated. So like I I think that you know this book is a work of science fiction and like it is very far beyond it takes these trends mu- much farther into the future. But to be perfectly honest, like I think that this is a question that we are collectively failing to answer right now. Yeah. Right. And, um, or actually that's not the right way to say it. We are succeeding in answering the question, but I don't like the answer okay. because <laughs> you know, I live it. And right. it's like there are, there are significant, negative externalities to the answer we are currently providing to ourselves. And I think that the economics and the nature of how the internet works, um, where uh, uh, both because it supports pay for access services, which in many ways is a great deal. That's why I'd prefer to have Netflix than go to a video store. Right. Um, uh, but but it also supports sort of power law returns where we have Uh, companies that are providing enormously scalable tools for all of us that are wonderful, but the nature of providing them at that scale means that the power and wealth associated with creating and controlling those tools is highly concentrated. Um, So I think that that, those trends tend to exacerbate the situation that I see today in public life.
0: And What, how do you wish we would answer the question or, or what, what, what answer would you like to see that you feel like we're failing?
1: So that's the beauty of being a novelist. Um, I get to ask questions. Without providing good answers, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, like I think that, like you know, if I was writing prescriptive nonfiction, I would need to write like I don't know some kind of plan. <laughs> right? But like that's the that's why I write fiction. I, I don't know. <laughs> Somebody better figure this out. <laughs> yeah, it's really difficult. Like it's it's a really hard thing to do. But I, I so you know from that so. But if you novel, take Oakland, right, like. Yeah.
0: Do you feel like it's the city's responsibility to provide, you know, safer, you know, safer um, uh, roads and and better schooling, so that that we prevent drive bys and triple homicides um, on, on blocks like yours, um, or do you feel like it's the company's responsibilities to pay? To um, you know, kind of trickle down some of that sure. wealth that someone like an Instagram, you know, could acquire within fourteen people.
1: Sure. So uh, I don't think it's either. Okay. So and the reason is I don't think it's fair to blame the city of Oakland, and I also don't fair think it's fair to blame the founders of Instagram. I honestly think that the real issue here is that all of us need to ask ourselves what kind of society we want to live in, because the the city of oak so why does the city of oakland not provide the services i'd love to provide well in large part because they have no budget <laughs> right <laughs> right so it's like so here's a good example whenever april comes around all of us in the us bitch about paying our taxes yep right like universally like go to any happy hour right and like Someone is complaining, right? And I'm not like I'm not a fan of like huge government, and like I don't like paying my taxes either, right? <laughs> like it's not like I get thrilled when I write a check to the IRS. But I think that in in many ways we have become so comfortable living in a wealthy, privileged country um, that uh, we don't realize the import of the public institutions that all of our personal or private success and lives are based on. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, you know, we use roads. Who do you think built them? Someone did. Right. Right. Like someone has to keep them maintained. Like if we didn't have roads, how do you think Uber would do right? Like it wouldn't work very well, would it? If we didn't have roads. So, I mean, that that's a, maybe a silly example but you know, I, I think that. Real. But yeah, and yeah. I and I think that um, many of us like to think of we like to blame the system, right? You can see this in how we go on to political tirades and rants, especially mm-hmm. now because it's campaign season, right. right? Like everybody feels like they are a victim of the system, and um, and honestly, it's sort of ironic. Many cyberpunk books like, you know, sort of dark, dystopian, futuristic stories are sort of about uh, fighting the system. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is a common theme. Yeah. Right. It's a common theme. And like there are some there's some of that in Cumulus. But uh, but one of the things that I worked really hard on in that story that I really believe in reality as well is that there is no system. Like the system is a bunch of people like us. Right. Mm. Like you know we're we're the ones deciding that that, that that these are the this is the life we want to live this is the society we want to live in so you know if we're going to go around and complain about paying taxes and then also complain about public service provision. And then, you know, like all of those things, we, we have to own up to our decisions and our cost benefits, right? So, you know, if, if, if we don't, ca- like, if you don't want to pay taxes to support social programs, then don't complain about homelessness, right? Like you have to own the fact that you're not, <laughs> you know, you're not, Uh, trying to contribute to any solution there. So I think that it's a much deeper uh, issue than being able to say, you know, the government of Oakland needs to step up because that's, you know, they're trying to step up. They're just a group of people too, right? Like they're, they're trying to do their best. Um, and, uh, and so I think that all of us really need to ask that question of ourselves, uh, not just in April when we're paying our taxes, but also when we're using a service like Facebook. Also when we're, uh, you, know, um, you know, making a decision for who to vote for or who, what products to vote for with our dollars or, um, you know, what policies we'd want to see supported in our school district or on the national level. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that this is a lot more fundamental than that
0: and you just published Neon Fever Dream which I understand is a little bit different than Cumulus tell us a bit about that
1: yeah so yeah, neon fever dream is about a dark secret hidden in the swirling dust and exultant revelry of burning <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah so it it's uh it's contemporary so it's not science fiction but it it sort of weaves together everything from Uh, the Sri Lankan sort of side effects from the Sri Lankan Civil War to how uh, new technology is changing the way that international organized crime operates.
0: That sounds fascinating. I can't even imagine how you pull those all together. Well, yeah. yeah, Yeah. (laughs) 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 Well, thank you, Elliot, so much for coming on. So if you would like to pick up Cumulus or Neon Fever Dream or any of Elliot's other books, search for Elliot Pepper on Amazon or Neon Fever Dream or Cumulus. They're well worth the read. Definitely recommend checking them out. And if you'd like to keep up with Elliot, just go to Elliotpepper.com and subscribe over at his blog. He releases lots of of new content. You can kind of keep up with his journey there. Huge thanks to our sponsors for this data episode, segment.com. Go to segment.com forward slash rocketship and get three hundred dollars off the team plan. And for design crowd, go to designcrowd.com forward slash rocketship and you can get up to a hundred dollars off of your next design project. It's gonna be all interviews this week, so we have some fantastic ones coming up with uh the Rupert Murdoch of India. He started a giant media company. And so we helped to tell his story and an executive from Microsoft, a 25 year vet of Microsoft coming up on Wednesday and Sunday. So you're going to want to just subscribe and check those out. Uh, it's going to be great. And then right after that, we start our next series on product. So we're going to be diving in to product product management how can you take your idea all the way to market and then once you're out how do you continually improve on your product where do you find that inspiration how do you talk to customers and and how do you actually interpret that feedback instead of just receiving features building features which can be kind of an endless slog Follow us on Twitter at Rocketship FM. If you haven't, subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a quick review. You could follow me at Michael Sokka and Joelle at Joelle Goldman. We'll see you back here on Wednesday.